1: so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
2: Welcome to the 18th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Featuring an interview with Tarquin Hall, author of The Case of the Missing Servant. The first book featuring Vish Puri, India's most private investigator. The Case of the Missing Servant is published by Simon & Schuster and is available in bookstores now.
1: This is Lee Child, and I'm listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast.
2: Welcome to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Tarquin Hall, author of the just-released novel, The Case of the Missing Servant, a mystery novel set in India, introducing Vish Puri, India's most private investigator. Tarquin, welcome to the Reading and Writing Podcast.
3: Thanks for having me. It's good to be here.
2: Sure, sure. Um, Well, I wanted to ask, in, in recent years, mysteries have featured many exotic settings and locales, including, obviously, Alexander McCall Smith's number one ladies' detective agency novels. Also, numerous historical mysteries, including various settings and times, including ancient Rome. I wonder what attracted you to writing a mystery that fully explores the rich setting, background, and characters of modern India
3: well i'd lived in india for quite a few years uh about 5 years to be exact and i really wanted to write a book about modern india um and i've been thinking about it for for quite a long time there've been a lot of very worthy very good many of them books kind of trying to explain modern india to uh a western audience in particular and uh, these are you know non fiction books and they they're, they're worth reading but i i really wanted to bring out the, the color, the, the contrast, the, uh, you know, the, 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 the huge change that's going on in the country. And I happened to, uh, in my capacity as a journalist, uh, write an article, a feature for the Sunday Times newspaper in, in the United Kingdom on Indian detectives. So I met a lot of these private detectives working in, in India, and uh, they are extraordinary characters. And that really inspired me uh, to to write the book. I I thought this this was the perfect vehicle for explaining modern modern India.
2: And, and as you mentioned, you worked as a journalist, and I know you've published a, a book, "Solemn Brick Lane," which was a memoir of when you moved back to London after many years away. Um, I I, I wonder, had you tried fiction before, or did you just have the
3: idea after you fiction. had... I had never written fiction before. I've always. Done journalism and non-fiction, and uh, so you know, there's been a lot to learn writing this book. Um, on the other hand, to me, it feels very much like non-fiction again, because what I'm describing is, you know, is 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 a very real. It's today's modern India, which well, so uh, many many of the characters to me seem like you know non-fiction characters really. And the world I'm describing, um, and and the way I'm describing it is is not that different to the way I'd probably do it in an art a feature article or in a, in a work of nonfiction.
1: Sure,
2: sure. And and with the the case of the missing servant, it's it's obvious that you're writing about contemporary India. I was wondering, from from your observation of India and what you know about it, what are some of the challenges that you think India faces in the next five to ten years? What happens when lower-cost countries start taking over some of the lucrative call center jobs?
3: Well, India is is changing in many ways, and, and then again, it's not. You've kind of got, um, I mean, grossly overgeneralizing, you've really got two Indias now. And when you hear people, particularly in India, describing it, it kind of depends which India they belong to. Um, you know, which which India they belong to kind of um, colors, obviously the, the description of India you get. Um, there's the India of call centers and software development firms and huge, enormous industries that are fast uh, springing onto the world stage. I mean, we're talking billions and billions of dollars here. And then you've got the India of the majority the seven who are still living on less than two dollars a day uh i think more than half of that are living on something around 50 cents a day so you've got this enormous contrast um in many ways i think it's the indian story all over again it's kind of more and more segregation more and more layers and, and on top of other layers so you've got this very complex culture that's that's it's always been complex but in a way it's getting more and more complex and you've got extreme poverty, and at the same time, extraordinary extraordinary wealth. I suppose the um, challenge, if you like, for India in the future is going to be to try and create the kind of wealth that uh, plugs that huge gap, that wealth divide. Um, but that's really unlikely to happen unless the politics improve. And India's major major problem is its politics. It's it's utterly corrupt. It's totally non-accountable. And so even the very wealthy um, who live a very privileged, middle-class existence don't have uh, the rule of law on their side. Um, as one of them was saying to me recently, um, it's the most expensive place to, to, to live in the world because you have to provide your own water, electricity, security, schools, health, just about everything.
2: Wow. So it certainly makes an interesting setting for a mystery novel.
3: yeah it it does in a way it kind of reminds me of the uh Victorian London of Sherlock Holmes because <laughs> uh in in Conan Doyle's day you know London had become this enormous enormous city um with many many people coming from all over the world to to live here i'm in the, in London at the moment and uh you know you'd never had such a huge urban sprawl before and that threw up a lot of new, interesting and different kinds of crimes, all sorts of uh, extraordinary scenarios uh, in, a, in a city that, uh, that, that had grown exponentially for years. And in a way, you've got the same thing happening um, in Indian cities and I suppose in other cities around the world as well. I mean, Delhi has uh, grown from when I lived there in the, in the, mid, in the mid-90s It was something around, I think, seven or eight million people. It's always hard to get the exact figures in India. Now it's it's more than 16 million, and the projection is something like 25 million and beyond. Um, If you look at the whole of the national capital region, um, which is you know a sort of term that's used now for Delhi, if you like, um, it's uh, it's the second largest human human conurbation on on Earth, second only to Tokyo, and that's set to grow larger than two. So it is an extraordinary
1: setting.
2: Wow, that that is. And it's an interesting comparison that you make with the London of Sherlock Holmes. And that actually leads me to my next question, because in the book, Vish, your main character, dismisses, dismisses Sherlock Holmes as somewhat of an amateur, and he claims that Chanakya, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing the name correctly, was really the first true detective. I was wondering if you can tell us about that character and who he was in history.
3: Well, yeah, Vish Puri is, you know, he's Punjabi and he's extremely proud, and, um, you yeah, know, he's very, very capable. Um, he's none too fond of uh, the British period. Um, of of, uh, the Raj, um, when the British were in India for for nearly 300 years. And he's extremely proud of his Indian uh, heritage and his culture. His guru is the political genius Chanakya, who lived 300 years um, before Christ. Uh, He was the founder of the Maurya Empire. And uh, he wrote an an extraordinary uh, treatise called the Atashastra, um, which basically lays out how to run an empire, um, how to run a bureaucracy, how to uh, run an economy. And um, there's also a large section in the book about how to run a an intelligence service. And Chanakya founded the world's first intelligence service. He was... I'm um, He even goes so far in this book, which, you know, as I say, dates back 2,300 years ago. Um... To Give all sorts of recommendations on how a spy should go about his business, um, so he recommends for example that if you have to infiltrate a merchant 's house, a good way of doing it is is with a dwarf uh, if you have to get into um, a foe's uh, court a, a, a rival king 's court maybe you need you need a nun or a um, a widow or all these kind of um, Uh, undercover sort of disguises he he recommended. And um, if you talk to some of the uh, Indian detectives, you know, real-life Indian detectives today, they take inspiration from this stuff. Um, A lot of um, detective work in in India still to this day involves uh, undercover work because India is such a complex culture that um, it's often the case that if you're from a particular background, maybe a different caste or even a different religion it 's very diff- difficult for you to infiltrate um, someone else 's uh, caste or household or, or tribe or whatever because you 're going to stand out so you need people who are very adaptable or come from particular backgrounds who can i suppose you know do your dirty work for you so um, i 've woven that in uh, Vishpuri. Is, is kind of a unique detective in that he, he's, very, he's very proud. He, I suppose he's a little bit like Poirot, um, Hercule Poirot, Agatha Christie's creation. Um, but um, he does recognize that he has to work with other people. And often that's the only way he can get at, at the information he needs.
2: That's interesting. and in, in your conversations with the Indian detectives for the nonfiction article that you wrote, I'm curious if, if there were any anecdotes or, or cases that stood out for you from, from your discussions.
3: Yeah, um, I was talking to one detective who was telling me that uh, he needed to um, find somebody in a village uh, in rural India. And he knew that if he went into this village, well, sorry, several villages, I think, in a particular area, he was looking for somebody. And he said that if he had gone into the villages and asked uh, for the person uh, by name, um, they would have, uh, nobody would have told him because everybody would have been wary of him and worried that, you know, he was, he was after something or he had some kind of malicious intent. So he went in disguise with a couple of his, uh, op- his um, United Nations World Health Organization uh workers disguised um as kind of medics to give out free medicines and they gave out i don't know aspirin or paracetamol or something and in that way they kind of found the person they were looking for because everybody came to get the free medicine so that's a sort of typical example i mean more typically i suppose is is the the people will send uh detectives will send undercover operatives
1: support for this podcast and the following message come from coriant
3: Into households, I and mean, everybody in India has servants, the servants have servants, and of course, <laughs> um, much like uh, you know i suppose uh, it used to be in, in in Britain when everyone used to have servants here, the servants know everything, so in a way, what sure. you have to do is kind of uh befriend them and get them to tell you what's really been going on um, and in the book, as in real life, a lot of Indian detectives. Do matrimonial investigations, which means that they will investigate um, a, a prospective uh, brides or grooms uh, in an arranged marriage, and uh, sometimes they'll send somebody into a household uh, to work, maybe as a dishwasher or a, or a, a Adobe uh, cleaning clothes, uh, to find out kind of the character of the girl or the, uh, the character of the girl or the boy. So. I've, I've put a lot of that kind of thing in the book.
2: Sure, sure. That's that's interesting that if you know the servants, you know what's going on in the house.
3: Well, as one detective put it to me, he said, you know, uh, the drivers in particular know everything. They overhear everything. Um, I was in India a few months ago uh, the last time, and, and somebody was telling me, another detective, that when they do uh, matrimonial work, the first thing they do is always ask the driver, and he was telling me an example of how they'd, they'd, they'd asked this driver what he thought of his employer. And the guy said, oh, don't marry him. He's a drunk. You know, he's always fooling around with other women. <laughs> so that marriage was completely blown based on what this, this driver told them. Great.
2: Um, I'm, I'm curious, has the book been
3: published in India yet? Yeah, it has. Yeah, it's doing very well there, actually. It's, um, it's on the best And what's the list.
2: response been? Oh, wow, bestseller list. That's great. And what has the response
3: been? I mean, obviously, it's selling well. It's been extremely good, actually. Um, I was kind of slightly bracing myself because Indians can be touchy about foreigners writing about about India. I mean, I think you have to remember with India that it's essentially been occupied up until 1947 um, sure. for, for 300 years. And before that, a lot of people... Would, would say that, you know, it was, it was subjugated by Muslim rulers. Um, so um, people are very sensitive, uh, and you, you do have to tread care. I'd be very pleased with the response. It's had some excellent reviews. There was an extremely, extremely uh, good review in India Today, which is kind of the Time magazine of India, um, ringing the ringing the book's praises. So overall, it's been great.
2: That's great. That's great. I was curious about the writing process that you went through for The Case of the Missing Servant. Did you outline the book beforehand, or did you kind of write and see where it took you?
3: I outlined it up to a point. I mean, when I started off, I really didn't know where I was headed with it. I I came (laughs) up with, with, obviously, with the detective. I knew that he'd have these undercover operatives. In fact, I I sat down in a coffee house with, with a notebook and I've I've got the notebook uh, here on my shelf and right on the first page there are kind of various names for the detective like Harry Singh and then, you know, Vishpuri actually was, was one of one of the options, the second one I think. And then I came up with this idea for these, these operatives and I gave them nicknames because Punjabis always give everyone nicknames. So one of them is called Tube Light because he's a little bit slow to flicker on in the morning and another one is called (laughs) Flush because uh, he's been the first to have a flush toilet in his village. And that's very typical of my detective, Vishpuri. He gives gives nicknames to everybody. He's a very sort of jovial Punjabi character. Um, So I came up with all that stuff uh, very, very quickly and I started actually write uh, the first couple of chapters which you come in... To the book in the in the middle of a matrimonial investigation, although it seems like you're in the middle of some um, really kind of uh, uh, sinister crime, perhaps. Um, and uh, I kind of took it from there. I mean, there were things. Um, I, I I took the advice from Stephen King from his book uh, on writing, which I found excellent. He he says he always knows. The general idea but um, he sort of just wings it and and the story kind of tells itself I found that a bit at one point um, I think it's in chapter 8 I I thought that the detective really should be in some kind of danger so I just had him up on his roof where he grows his chili plants and um, I had somebody suddenly start shooting at him I finished the chapter and I realized I had absolutely no idea who was shooting at him and I think that's kind of the fun of, of writing fiction is you can do that. You can just write something in and then you kind of have to figure out what what the hell's going on. Figure out
2: who's shooting exactly, at him. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious about um, who are some of the writers that you enjoy reading? And, and I was wondering if when you were working on the case of The Missing Servant, were there any books or specific writers that you look to for inspiration?
3: Um. It's funny. I haven't read a lot of um, detective fiction. I mean, I read a certain amount of Agatha Christie when I was growing up, when I was a kid. I absolutely loved Sherlock Holmes. I mean, I read all all the Sherlock Holmes mysteries. Um, but since then, I, I don't tend to read a lot of detective fiction. I hadn't. I mean, no one tends to believe this, but because the book has been compared to Alexander McCall Smith's Number One Ladies Detective Agency, but I'd actually never read that and uh, when i sent the first few chapters to my agent in new york she said i should read it and i did and i i very much enjoyed it um but i hadn't actually read it before um i tend to read an awful lot of non-fiction and biography and history um but since i've been doing this i have started reading a lot of uh, detective fiction novels and um I've I, while I was reading the case of the missing servant, believe it or not, I got onto Perry Mason novels. I, I, again, I'd never read them <laughs> before, but I was attracted by the titles um, in a bookshop uh, when I was looking for books. And uh, the one I picked up was the case of the grinning gorilla, um, and, and uh, I can't remember <laughs> what's the. Who wrote it? Uh Eric Stanley Gardner. Earl Stanley Gardner. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Um yes. so I read a bunch of those and um they're kind of formulaic but fun. Um and sure. um since then I've been writing uh, sorry, I've been reading a lot of um thrillers recently I read sure. The sure. Cherries, The Man Who Came In From the Cold, which is which is brilliant.
2: Right. Right. I, I, I was curious as well. The case of the missing servant, as we've discussed, is set in, in modern India, and it's the the background is very rich and detailed. And including at the back of the book, you have a glossary. I was wondering, did you have anyone vet the book before you sent it to your agent in terms of getting all of those details correct?
3: Well, I'm married to a, a, a lovely girl who uh, comes from an Indian family. She grew up in the states, mostly in New York and North Carolina, but um, she's from a Punjabi family. Half of them are are still in India, and we've been together 12 years, and I've got to know them very well, obviously. And as I said earlier in the interview, I mean, I spend a lot of time in India. So um, I have my own kind of um, uh, expert in-house, if you like, um, <laughs> so she she's she 's given me a, a lot of pointers and scolds me when i when I get spellings and details wrong she 's particularly great on food um, i mean Indians uh, like Italians or the french i mean they 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 love and know their food and they 're very particular about their food so um, uh, i've i 've got to know Indian food and love it very well but uh, and love it but uh She's, she's often sort of introducing me to new kinds of food in the book, and that comes from her and, and a lot of family and friends as well.
2: Great. So, so has her family read the book yet? What do they think?
3: Yeah, her, her mother read it actually the other day and uh, called me and, and said she she loved it, although she was a little bit uh, confused about the plot. <laughs> But, uh, I, 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 had to explain exactly what had happened at the end, but she, she, uh, she loved it. And yeah, the response, um, from other members of the family had been very good. I mean, I should say that I have a lot of friends in Delhi and I sent the manuscript before it was published to several of them as well to see what they thought. And, uh, I was quite pleased actually. They only came back with a few things that they had, they felt I'd, I'd got wrong. Um, so um, overall, the reaction has been very, very strong, very good. That's
2: great. That's great. Uh, I wonder what advice or suggestions would you offer aspiring writers who may be working on their first novel? What, what kind of got you through writing your first novel?
3: Well, <laughs> um, that's a big subject, writing. Um, <laughs> I, I think, um, you know... It's, it's a strange thing, isn't it? I mean, everybody, do, everybody, do, everybody does it a little bit differently. But I suppose the two main you know, ingredients are imagination. You've got to have, you've got to have it. Um, and, and you kind of can't do it without both. Um, I mean, if you haven't got imagination or you're not really using your imagination, it's going to be pretty drab stuff. On the other hand, you can have all the imagination in the world and be completely undisciplined and never write a word um, and vice versa. So um, you've just got to sit every day and do it. And at the beginning, it all seems like a great idea. Uh, A few weeks in, you sort of think, oh, God, can I really sit here any longer? And you've just got to it's kind of like lifting weights, I guess. You've just got to work through the pain.
2: Great, great. Well, that's all I have for now. Again, you can check out The Case of the Missing Servant. It's in bookstores now by Tarquin Hall. And I did want to ask you, what are you working on now? Do you have another Vishpuri detective novel in the works?
3: Um, yeah, I'm working on a second Vishpuri book. It's called The Case of the Man Who Died Laughing. Um, it basically sees Vishpuri on the trail of a, a god man. And, uh, he brings in his operatives again, and uh, once more, his mother, his mummy G, uh, is also on a, on a separate case that kind of runs as a parallel plot through the book. So uh, the case of The Man Who Died Laughing uh, hopefully will be published next June.
2: Great. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today.
3: Okay, well, thank you.
2: Thanks for listening to my latest interview. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to leave me some feedback about the podcast, you can leave a voicemail on my Google voicemail line, and I can feature your comment in a future podcast. You can simply call 413-84-BOOKS. That's 413-84-BOOKS. Or it's 413-842-6657. Again, that's 413-842-6657. Also, if you enjoyed listening to the podcast, I would love to get a review in iTunes so that more people could find the podcast in the iTunes store. It's very simple. Go to the podcast in the iTunes store and just leave a review or a comment. Thanks a lot. And we'll be back soon with another interview with a writer that you enjoy reading. This is David Morrell. And when I'm not working on my latest thriller, I'm listening to the reading and writing
1: podcast.